Our friend Mark Kingdon was the CEO after Philip. He always tells me about the time that he was on some island and was attacked by a group of angry second lifers. They threw very nasty things at him. I won't even tell you what they were. Reuters set up a bureau in there, and I, I think that the reporter got attacked, um, I'll say, with dildos. That's Virtual. what it was, yeah. 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 And that, and that, maybe that was like a common problem in Second Life, um, since, since we have at least two cases. If, if we can uncover a third, it's a trend. theme of this show is the uneasy alliance of convenience between humans and machines. Humanity has always been both thrilled and worried about technology. After all, we are a technological species. We've advanced as much as we have because we've mastered technology. And yet throughout history, at various times, humans have worried that technology would usurp humanity, morphing from a tool to improve life to actually dictating life for humans. Anyone who gets a disturbing screen time report on Sundays like I do probably knows the feeling that maybe we are already captive to machines. Now, what I find fascinating is how we appear on the cusp of a new chapter in that relationship. Most of Silicon Valley over the last few years has been looking for their latest new, new thing, as is usual for Silicon Valley. Over the last several years, at various points, crypto, big data, Web3 have all vied for that role. But I think if we look for patterns, as we do in this podcast, we will see a clear one in the dividing line between computing and human life blurring even more than we could have imagined. The frustrations of speaking to a robot on a customer service line will pale in comparison to the seeming leaps of progress being made by artificial intelligence every day, particularly as it moves into how we interact with the world around us and how it changes our media experience, which is what we focus on in this podcast. Today, we're going to talk about that shift through a few lenses. One is virtual reality, and the other is the explosion of AI tools of creation. And these are themes that we will come back to repeatedly, I feel like, in this podcast. It is people versus algorithms, after all, although I think we're going to find out that it's, it's less verse and it's more and. We're also going to discuss F1 and its rising popularity, which I find fascinating because it is truly a combination of machines and humans, as well as the role of the sales rep in a world rapidly moving to machines making most decisions, not humans. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you have feedback, please do send it in. My email is bmarsi at gmail.com. And if you like this podcast, please rate it and leave a review um, on Apple Podcasts, or I believe you can actually leave a rating now on, on Spotify. If you can, do, um, particularly if it's going to be a five-star rating. Um, we always like to hear um, your feedback about uh, topics you would like to hear discussed, so please do send me a note. Troy, let's talk about Meta and VR. Meta came out with its new Quest Pro VR headset. It came in a lot more expensive, I think, than people thought, $1,500. Mm-hmm. And that's because it, they're looking to focus on a professional audience, which, I, which to me was very interesting. I mean, they have like a consumer uh, version of this, but the professional use case 
seems to be stronger at this point. And that was my big takeaway. Uh, they have a partnership with Microsoft and they want to bring all kinds of productivity software into a, a virtual environment. And this to me kind of reminds me of a throwback situation where it used to be you would go to work. I guess now you go into like a virtual work environment and you would have technology tools that you couldn't imagine having at home. And then it flipped. Yeah, it's, like, it's like the old PC world. Yeah, but then it flipped, yeah. right? And it flipped because you went into work and it was like going backwards in time because there was all of this legacy technology that uh, that offices used and you had all of this very nimble consumer technology that we'd use in your mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. private lives. But this seems like it could be a reverse. It's hard to not be impressed by what they've achieved. I find it's just way too easy to be totally cynical and dismissive of it. I look at how they communicate the how they present and merchandise the product i look at all of the technical achievements and and i see you know i mean depending as you know it, it, it it's it's a question of time horizon you know there's going to be something like this in the world and it it strikes me that that the 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 technology and the you know the the hardware inter, the intersection of hardware and software um you know, and the, the complexity of it will give them a, a unique advantage if they can nail a couple use cases. So um, work seems like a really good use case. Microsoft largely owns, you know, the platforms of work. So that partnership makes makes a lot of sense. I think the thing that, that, that yeah, there, was a, there was a good article in the New York Times, although there's an article in the New York Times this week about a, uh, I can't remember the name of the journalist who spent, you know, days in the metaverse. Um, uh, and in Horizon, and you know, it seemed boring and stupid, and potentially, um, you know, I mean, if you think the challenges of moderation are difficult on social networks, they're infinitely more complex in the metaverse. So, uh, I like I like where they're taking this. I think it's going to, you know, be a long, long road, but it's it's interesting. I, I I think when we'll get to this in a minute, Brian, I think that the the innovative and distributive explosion in AI is far more interesting. Yeah, well, it's it's far more tangible, right? Mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. My big takeaway from um, the interviews that Zuckerberg gave uh, uh, with this announcement is that they're setting expectations that this is going to take a long time. And if you look at the early versions of it, it's pretty clear that this is not quite ready. It'll be interesting to see what Apple ends up coming coming out with because I don't think that they're going to want to come out with as much of a look. The hardware seems fine. The software clearly needs to catch up, which is an interesting. You, know, you need the two to go together. Right now, there there isn't enough compelling use cases, dis, despite the number of VR headsets they shipped. Um, there are not enough. There's not enough stuff to do with them. There, there, and I think that's a challenge. In that, like, when you got a phone, you got your iPhone. Like, it opened up a world. It didn't become as addictive as it is now, but like, it it was very, very useful immediately. Whereas, it seems to be a very common experience to get a VR headset, put it on, go crazy for a weekend, and then it just gets put away. Yeah, there's too much. There's totally too much friction to integrate it into your life. Um, but there's not did, enough stuff did, to did do. Did I see on a did did the avatars get legs now? 
Do they have legs? No, but the, but they're they're getting legs, and I think you know, obviously, leaving the bottom half of the um, of the avatar's body to last was probably the right decision based on the experience of Second Life. And look, Meta is going to have to answer the Second Life question all the time, right? Because when Second Life came out, I'm sure you remember ad agencies were recruiting interns in Second Life. Um, we, I remember one ad agency uh, actually started their headquarters in Second Life. And Second Life had a lot of uh, promise, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And what it became was uh, a lot of massage parlors and um, various other uh, gambling, I believe, was big in there. If crypto was around, it would have been really... <laughs> Our friend Mark Kingdon was he was the CEO after Philip, and he was he always tells me about the time that he was on some island and was attacked by a group of angry Second Lifers. Like they threw things at him, they threw very nasty things at him. I won't even tell you what they were. Yeah, well, there was a famous yeah, there was like Reuters set up a bureau in there, and I, I think the the reporter got attacked. Um, I'll say with dildos. That's virtual. what it was. Yeah. 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 That, that maybe that was like a common problem in Second Life, um, since since we have at least two cases. If if we can uncover a third, it's a trend. Um, but that 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 is a risk, right? Like you you don't want these environments to become known with that. And Second Life itself went on, and it was a profitable business, but it was one that was completely dismissed as a mainstream experience because it got that reputation. I think. I mean, first of all, it was super clunky and super early. But I do think that there was a brand problem that developed. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I could never figure out why I would go back there the second time, which is what, you, what you're suggesting the problem is with Horizon. Yeah, I mean, because if there's not enough stuff to do, and that's why I think the focus on work is, is interesting, because a, a few things. One, there's clearly a divide between... Um, a large portion of workers, if not the ma majority, who have no interest in going back to the office. And if you think about it, they'll be like, even the most technologically resistant would be like, fine, give me the headset. I'll do that. Like, if I don't have to do the commute, I'll do the headset. And I wonder if that is the way to normalize this kind of behavior. Um, you can make the headset look as good as as and be as comfortable as possible. They clearly have made leaps in it, but it's clearly not close. I mean, it has like one to two hours of battery time. Can I ask you a really hard question, Brian? Okay. I think one of the things that pundits do, I'm not putting you in that category, you can put yourself oh in if you want, is we look at the things that happen in the world and that happen in businesses and we're um, cynical or dismissive about the decisions that leaders make about the future of their companies, about where they're going to invest money, about the hard trade-offs that they have to make. And if you've ever had those jobs, uh, the trade-offs are incredibly difficult. And so you're Zuck for a sec. I'm going to put you on the spot, and maybe we'll even get Alex to do the same because he's, he's famously a Zuck hater. You're Zuck, and you're faced with the kind of fading relevance of your primary social network, like really hard to breathe life back into it. History would suggest very hard to do that with Facebook, and it's not going to be the growth engine it once was. You've seen 
Instagram, which was just a juggernaut as a photo sharing social based social network, which, you know, essentially a new mode of creating creators and presenting content emerged really hard to catch up with that. And, you know, you're a publicly traded company, you were a darling, all that shit. So what do you do? What do you, what do you do? Do you, do you look to incubate an entirely new, uh, you know, social network? Do you lick your wounds and say, God damn it, I wish I would have owned the hardware software intersection point because I've been stung by that because, you know, clearly Apple played a role in kind of pressure that was put on, on Facebook. So I'm just trying to understand, cause this seems to me, one of the things as I look at this as a kind of uh, a, a citizen of the business world is it's, it's, it, it's kind of cool to see someone believe in something so strongly that they're just willing to throw this amount of resource into it and really go for it. And I, I kind of admire it on some level because it seems incredibly hard and you're attacked relentlessly and all that. It would have been much easier if they said, look, what are we good at? We're really good at targeted advertising. We're really good at like understanding data in order to put ads in front of people. Let's buy Roku. Let's tell a story about how we're going to own streaming and we're going to go really big into being an even bigger player in the ad world. They could have done that. Absolutely. I, I think it is admirable that they're trying to invent an entirely and lead a new computing paradigm. I think if you like go back to like what we discussed about Elon Musk last week, to me, a more reasonable strategy would be to go the super app route. Now you're not building a new computing paradigm. This is taking something that took off uh, in Asia. But if someone is going to build a super app, you would build it off Instagram would have a much better chance of working than Twitter, right? Like, and Instagram, they made half-hearted efforts. If they can't nail commerce on Instagram, I mean, people go there to like looking at like thing at clothing and, and everything, then I don't think they're going to nail the super app. But if you look at that, I mean, why couldn't they build a super app off of Instagram or WhatsApp? I mean, that would be a reasonable strategy, wouldn't it? I think it's a good point. I think that those environments have to be led as a communication tool between people to be a super app and less a kind of environment for self-expression and social networking that Instagram is. So yeah, I think it's possible. I think you'd really have to get focused on how you move more of, you know, conversational media into into Instagram and then and then started to you know to 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 move it into a transactional tool like which is basically what happened in in China except that on the way there all these small businesses started to sort of host their own pages inside of uh, WeChat right yeah. so they became home base for small businesses and then they connected them with commerce yeah. and so on but good point Brian great point yeah so the final thing on this is with this long time horizon that that Facebook is clear with, for virtual reality to to take off, you, you never know, but it, it they're signaling that this is going to take a long time. You know, the question is, can they keep their very lucrative legacy business spinning at that level while they're shifting the entire focus of the company to building this literal new world? Because if they're legacy business goes into decline and there are a lot of signs out there 
that it it is waning, well, then you're going to run out of like opportunity to invent the future. Mm -hmm. I think they have time. I think that the, they have enormous and unnecessary cost structure in those businesses that will come down a, a significant amount over the next five years, will free up cash. And I think, listen, having, um, you know, be, behaviors change, but, um, you know, I think that, that people will use Facebook as kind of a, you know, a home base for a lot of family communication, a lot of basic communication for a long, long time. And Instagram's going to persist. I, I do believe they'll atrophy, but I think they have, to, you know, I think they have five to 10 years. I love your contrarian pro, pro meta takes. It's good. Okay, so we're talking about like 10 years out, but let's talk about the here and now, Trey. And artificial intelligence is here. I mean, look, it's, it is not new. We've been talking about AI. There have been advances in AI. It's been talked about, as I said, like forever. But lately, the advances, at least in AI creation tools, if you're talking about DALI or Meta's Make a Video tool, this week, um, there was Podcast AI came out, um, and it created a quote-unquote podcast in which Joe Rogan interviewed Steve Jobs. It was clunky. It was weird. But it's hard not to either experience Dali or to listen to this podcast, this synthetic media, and not play it forward five years or even 10 years and see a world in which media is completely changed. And that's what this podcast is, is broadly about. Um, one estimate I saw coming out of Europe was that 90% of digital content will be synthetically created within five years. I'm personally a bit concerned about this. That's nonsense. <laughs> you're okay. You're calling nonsense. So not that any forecasts would, would ever be nonsense, but broadly, it's pretty clear that AI is going to have a tremendous impact on all things creative going forward. Oh my God. I, 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 it's Cambrian. Is that the right word? This is Cambrian, Brian. I, um, I'm endlessly fascinated by this. And, and I think that, you know, it turns out that, you know, I guess the, the two or three things that enabled this period of tr transformation, which are the evolution of these core, uh, language models that kind of start to mimic human cognition, which was like GPT-2, GPT-3, um, against, you know, what is now, um, enormous data sets, uh, that we've kind of created with the internet and the investment from, from Google and Facebook and others that had a lot of money to pay, you know, expensive developers and scientists and researchers in this area created this kind of baseline, uh, state of innovation that's now really taking off. And, and what I find so fascinating about it is you can't even keep up with it. You're starting to see these models get applied to new use cases like daily. I'm seeing mm -hmm. an insane amount of innovation here. And, and, I, and I would only liken it, I think that, you know, when you reflect on what's the big, you know, innovation post-internet, it was the mobile phone and it was enabled by this kind of collision of multiple technologies, right? Like, you know, obviously microprocessors, screens, GPS, uh, cellular technology, and they all came in together to create, 
you know, something that really fundamentally changed, you know, behavior, media, communication, structure of society, all kinds of stuff. Like this is that big to me. It's foundational and it's fundamental. And it's not going to be, is that AI or not? Everything is going to be kind of like AI plus, like it will be, it will be, it will power your photos folder on your desktop. So when you take pictures on your phone, all, you know, it will understand who you are and your family. You'll be able to change any kind of environment around the model of you. It will understand how you write, how you think it will support. I think the best way to look at it rather than say, well, 90% of what we consume will be driven or generated by, by, you know, AI technology. It's more like we're becoming superhuman. We're being given more and more tools that we, we essentially become almost like as creative people, we become like project managers, right? We use a, a broader set of tools to make and create and to imagine worlds underneath of it. I think there's a, a human creativity that still reigns, but I would only add one thing to it. I think you made this point the other day to me is I think we imagine this kind of bold, you know, robotic future where, you know, all of the jobs of, of, of the blue collar worker would be eliminated and precise, like what's happened is precisely the opposite. This is like threatening the livelihood or certainly, you know, the role that the creative class plays in the world. Well, and I think that's interesting. Yeah, no, I think it's totally fascinating because we always go to these dystopian futures. And I think that is our uneasy relationship with technology is that we are a technological species. We would not be here without technology. What separates us is the fact that we have mastered technology to advance civilization, like full stop. That, that is what we are. We can never not master technology and continue to do that. So th there sort of is no choice for people that want to go to the past, which sometimes I feel like I might be one of those people. But I think we, we tend to like look at these, uh, these dystopian use cases. Um, and I think that is, is valid with some of these very powerful technologies, but they always seem more powerful. I'm sure people, um, you know, back in the day when radio came about, like thought it was like this horrible, horrible thing. But at the same time, it raises a ton of thorny questions. Um, it raises questions uh, about copyright, about deep fakes. I think that the initial sort of dystopian uh, views are going to go into the deep fake and disinformation realm. Um, that European statistic I, I, I cited was uh, mostly around disinformation. And, you know, the reality is tools can be used for, for good and for bad. And I think at the baseline of it is we always fear being replaced by technology or being slaves to technology. And in general, it doesn't happen. I mean, let's just look at like how AI was meant to completely change and programmatic technology completely change the media buying um, world. And it has, it has absolutely done that. Guess what? There are more people employed by agencies. It has not replaced people at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, they're sad that, well, that was the funny, funny factoid from this week when Someone from the media buying world suggested that there weren't enough sales reps around to host lunch and learns. Right. And the thing is, so like, so there are not, the, the ad sales world is completely vibrant. Okay. Programmatic technology has created entirely new classes of jobs for all of the fear that we're going to be automated out of existence and we'll need universal basic income to, to do something with our time. Um, it's, 
we're in a, a time of historic uh, labor shortages, and those do not seem like they're going to go away anytime soon. There are tremendous demographic forces at play, and we're not going to eliminate jobs. But I do think that anyone who has used these tools, at least for me, when I use these tools or or listen to that podcast, it's one of those experiences of technology that I personally, maybe because it's close to home, I say, holy shit. I don't say holy shit with the VR stuff. I just don't. I'm like, this is clunky and weird. But when you see what Dali can do, I my reaction was holy shit. Made me think job titles of the future, our new segment, job titles of the future. In agencies, that's where they appear first, right? It'll be vice president text to image or AI specialist. That's got to exist, right? It's coming oh, fast. for sure. It's going yeah, to exist. Someone told me they were in a pitch this week and, and they were sort of, you know, positioning MidJourney as a unique, you know, part of the agency toolkit that would help them solve problems for the client. But just before, I just want to talk about some of the innovations that hit my radar this week, Brian, just to give people a sense of like how quickly this world is moving. And a big part of it are these is is this stable diffusion model from a company called stability.ai that's an open source model that people are training against their own unique data sets and combining with other types of ML in new ways to create really, you know, interesting applications that allow us to use images and words to create new things, okay? So here's a few. We saw Meta came out with the make a video thing, right? Which was like, whatever, it was a bear drawing a bear. And then it was, we saw Google follow up quickly with Imogen. There was a new one that called Fanaki, which allows you to use an image and make an, a video from that image. It's really fun to play with. And then you're seeing all of this sort of art of the prompt stuff. Have you seen any of this? Art of the prompt. Well, there's marketplaces for good prompts. Prompts are what you use to get the images, oh right? You can buy prompts. You can buy prompts for clay emojis, as an example, right? And there's now a tool that allows you to create better prompts using AI. So those are just a few of them. And let me get it. Now there's all these different diffusers, right? Think of diffusers as the lens on Instagram that makes an image look different, right? So we've heard of Midjourney. You've got Dali. You've got this one called Disco Diffusion that makes this these incredible renderings, just bananas. And then you have guys that are now allowing you to write longer and longer prompts to turn them into a narrative that actually render image after image after image after image with sort of sort of imagine a storyboard for a movie moving into a movie that you can create with a series of prompts. There's a guy that created this week text to Pokemon character, right? So it uses AI to create new Pokemon characters. There's another one that takes, you can upload a picture of any interior, okay? And it will render it in all these different moods or vibes. Like, you know, you got your kind of Moroccan vibe or your Italian design vibe or your French vibe. And the way that it's taking that image and reinterpreting it using AI is mind boggling. So yeah. those are, in addition to the thing that you just talked about, the podcast experiment with Steve Jobs, yeah. this stuff is moving so fast. And I used to liken it to 
oh my God, I was there at the beginning because I'm old now. And I saw desktop publishing come online with, you know, personal computers and Apple and all that. And it changed the newspaper that I worked at at the time. Right. And now, I mean, but that was like a long arc, right? That from that to audio to video, that was like a 20 year arc. This is like six months. No, that's why I think it's like, this is the now and VR is probably, you know, you, if you have like, you know, if you're crunched for time, I would say focus on the AI stuff for now, because you can catch up on the VR because it's super early. I think the interesting part that I would like to talk about before we move on is how this changes the nature of creation and the creator. Because you talk about prompts and like the idea of a prompt as, you know, the act of creation. I'm a little uneasy with that. I mean, I think it's like, to go back to our topic last week, uh, it is cheating. I don't think typing words into a box that are that is rendered as some kind of piece of art is the same as making something from scratch yourself, turning your imagination into a reality. And I assume we'll just have different classes of art and of of creative products. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I, you know, we used to like use, you know, I don't know, elk blood on the wall of a cave to tell a story. And that's clearly a lost art. So what, what's, what's wrong with re continually reinterpreting how human imagination is applied to storytelling? I mean, that just, Wait, well, they, 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 my question is, is that human imagination is I, I we I, I got a I got an email from from a listener talking about these tools and talking about how he's been refining hit the prompts he he types into Dali and like it, you know the the results are are astounding and stuff like this and I couldn't help but think like you're not it's kind of like the old Obama thing you didn't make that like it's it's not really imagination. It's it's the imagination. Well, I, don't, I don't know that that's a good example. That guy was probably like in ad tech or a banker or something. But like <laughs> the, the, don't, the don't slander uh, ad tech or bankers. No, he's probably a great guy, but like he thinks that you know he's now a creative person because he can make a prompt. I think that's great. He should be a creative person. That's awesome. Just like the act of making a spreadsheet is a creative act, I suppose. But the, 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 um, it, is. it depends on the spreadsheet. A lot of pro formas are creative acts. You, you know, you know that, that humans, you know, our, our restless need to make, create, connect, tell stories, nothing ever stops that. And, you know, someone will be better at using all of these tools to make something that gives you a feeling, which is ultimately what we're all trying to do, um, than other people, right? And at the same time, you know, media will continue to overlap. This book will still be read. Um, you know, I'll listen to records. Like it just is this overlapping thing. One thing that was, you know, a preoccupation of mine for the last couple of weeks, and it's one of those things that I don't know what it means, but it's just the, and Alex helped think that this through but like, and so did you but the abundance thing the flow of media what it means to live in this world where you can create 
any type of media, the lines between them increasingly don't matter. The lines between institution and people don't matter. And it's just uh, the, uh, the, the pace of it is, is relentless. Um, I, I find that uh, uh, to, to be really interesting in terms of what are the ultimate, you know, what's going to really happen to kind of professional media with that as a background? Well, that's my concern, right? Like, I mean, the, these these tools will will be writing newsletters soon. I'm, they're already making podcasts. I'm starting to sweat it out a little bit. Yeah, I think that they're, you got time. Okay, so final thing on this is if you were to start an AI media company, I mean, you, you clearly see this as like the future. So if you were to create a media company for the AI age, so 10 years in advance, if you were to look at this technology, what's it going to look like? Hmm. Well, you know, I think AI will do really well on news gathering. And then I think that the question is going to be through what lens? So how does the AI support different points of view or how do people effectively bring their own algorithms that allow them to sort media in different ways? So I think if, if you were going to build it, you would be, you know, hyper-focused on efficiency in terms of what it took to gather news, to kind of package it, to make it uh, available to editors that could kind of pick through it and highlight different things. You would definitely be using it to create visualizations. You would definitely be using it to extend text-based things into video-based things. Um, yeah, it would be nuts, Brian. I... I uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't, is Semaphore using this? No, 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 I don't think so. I think they're, I think they're actually going to put like uh, parts of the article into shaded boxes and, and claim that they reinvented the news article. But I'm doing a podcast with Justin Smith, so I'm going to ask him that. What I think is interesting, you know, one of those like leaked texts of Elon Musk, uh, we have to talk about Elon Musk very briefly, is um, the, the CEO of Axel Springer, was angling to run Twitter. It was very funny to see who was angling to run Twitter. And he talked about having like an algorithm store where you could like apply your own algorithm, right? And I think about that, like with AI, like it, you could actually create, you know, instead of it being like left or right or something like this, you could just choose to tweak the AI to suit your, your needs, couldn't you? Yeah, you will be able to. I'm pretty convinced of that. So like, you I know, love, maybe I love that all those sycophants were in his text, you know, asking for the job. My favorite is Jason, your your old buddy Jason. He wants the job too. I wasn't surprised. I mean, remember when he was doing Netscape uh for a little bit, like he uh convinced AOL to allow him to reinvent the iconic internet brand of Netscape. It was in it was going to be a dig clone. Trey, what's the good product? We talked a lot this week about AI and what it does to, to creativity. I stumbled onto an Instagram account called An Improbable Future. The URL is www.animprobablefuture.com. The guy is a some kind of industrial designer that has taken... Midjourney is a uh, variation is is a text to image so, uh, solution that you run, and it 
it brings a specific and can bring a very specific aesthetic to the images that you're creating. So this guy's gone out and kind of done industrial design and, and transportation designed designs of the future, but influenced by the past. And they're all kind of created and rendered by AI. And he, the, I don't know who it is. The guy just, it's called an improbable future. He's an industrial designer from New York. It's really cool. Alex, it looks like, uh, What's the name of the famous Philips designer, Alex? Do you remember? Braun. The guy that made those incredible stereos and, you know, that did the kind of their core. Oh, you mean Braun? You know, industrial design vocabulary at Philips. Dieter Rams at Braun. It looks like that. And it's cars and motorcycles and stereos and watches and stuff that I like. So that'd be my, my, my submission this week, Brian. Okay, Troy, I'm going to spend some more time with this account. Good discussion this week. And thank you to Alex Schleifer, our creative partner at Universal Entities, uh, who is also the producer on this podcast. Jay Sparks of Pod Help Us uh, edited this episode. Again, please do send feedback. Uh, you can reach me at bmorrissey at gmail.com. <laughs>